Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Psalm chapter 41. And this psalm is very significant as you're looking at the entire book of Psalms. Maybe I've mentioned this to you before, I can't remember, but the Psalms, the entire Psalter, is divided up into five books. Now, that's interesting. Scholars look at that and go, okay, well, there's five books of Moses. So there is some significance that the Psalms are divided into five books. Now, when I say five books, if you go Psalm chapter 1 to Psalm chapter 41, that is book 1. So that gives you an idea. It's a a group of Psalms that have been grouped together with a common theme. And many say this is the last Psalm of David. So as you look at Psalm chapter 1 through Psalm chapter 41, you get what some would call the Psalms of Jesus. These are ones that are dripping with Messianic prophecy. You're going to see a lot of these Psalms quoted in the New Testament. And in our Psalm today, we're going to find the Gospel of John quotes one verse from Psalm 41. So we know that Jesus is very well steeped in this Psalter, especially book 1 because some of the words of the Psalter from this section are going to be on the lips of Jesus. Like, for example, we know when he's on the cross, he's going to, he's going to quote from Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, today you're going to see where he quotes from this Psalm in particular at the Last Supper in reference to Judas. When we read this, you're going to recognize the verse properly from the Gospel. So just want to give you that background before we read our passage. This is the end of Book 1. This is the last Psalm in Book 1. Here's a really cool thing. The Hebrew word that begins this psalm at the very beginning, uh, asre or asra, is the same word that we find at the beginning of Psalm 1. And, and most scholars look at that and say, well, there's a reason. This is like a seam where the psalmist is taking your mind back to Psalm 1 and saying, okay, this is a unified whole. So he begins Psalm 41 with the very same, ver- uh, very same word that he begins uh Psalm 1, this idea of blessed or happy is the man. It's, we think of the Beatitudes when we hear this word where Jesus uses that uh, construct, blessed is, and then he goes on and talks about what, who are the blessed, who are these certain Beatitudes that epitomizes being blessed in God or blessed by God. So as we think of these things, and also just real quick before we read the psalm, uh, this psalm is divided into three parts. You're going to notice a lot of these psalms are divided in three parts. Uh, The first part of this psalm is verses 1 through 3. This is the foundation of confidence. Why is David confident? Then verses 4 through 9, the complaint. What's going on? And you're going to see this gut-wrenching complaint of what's happening to David. And then verses 10 through 12, the final plea of confidence. So maybe as you read this psalm today, you can relate to what David's going through. And you can make this part of your own prayer life, maybe. Let's read this. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. 
He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And so he begins this saying, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Now this could be translated as blessed is the one who considers the weak. And those would be synonymous in the ancient world, the poor and the weak. Blessed is, he's, he's not saying here, this is where some people misread this psalm. David is not saying tit for tat. He's not saying, well, you know what? I took care of the poor, God, so you better take care of me. This is a, a beatitude, so to speak. The one who is blessed is the one who does take care of the poor. So he's just stating that as a, as a fact there. Uh, so he goes through in these early parts, this idea of his confidence. Now, we know he's at rest, at risk. We know something is going on in his life. So he begins this whole uh, psalm with this reason for confidence, this foundation of confidence. So he's going back on God's past promises and saying, okay, Lord, I know things are bad for me right now, but based on your prior promises you've made in scripture and also how you've treated me through the years, I know you're going to come through for me. Now, when we get to verses four through nine, we have this shift in language, and you'll notice it if you're really carefully reading through this psalm. So far, everything that he said about Yahweh or God is in the third person, but now in verse four, it's like he's praying to God. So there's these entreaties he's making in the second person to Yahweh, you, so you, Lord. So the complaint section starts in verse four, so that's where you kind of pick up on the difference in the language. Now, there's these calamities coming toward him. He has enemies in verses five and six. He's got friends in verse nine. They speak false to cheer him. So these people he thinks that really care about him, or they, they act like they care about him, they come on his sickbed and give him false hope. Uh, they give him uh, words to cheer him up that are empty words because they really don't care about him. They spread rumors about him. They plot to take advantage of his situation. I mean, just think about what David may be going through here. These evil people are taking advantage of his time of sickness and weakness. Maybe you can relate to that. That's happened to you before. So there's this confession of sin that he makes to Yahweh. Then he launches into this horrible situation that he's in. So this psalm is united against foe and friend alike who are using the power of language. Think about the power of language and what words do to people. I mean, think about what these people are doing. They're speaking falsely. They're using words. They're bearing false witness about David in verse 6. They gather slander in verse 6. They're building up their case. And people will do this. You'll notice when people go on a witch hunt, whether it's in the workplace or whatever it is, they will try to start to build a case and they will find every reason. Things that didn't bother them before all of a sudden become very critical about this person. Um, they whisper together in verse 7. So think of people standing in corners whispering about this person. And they verbalize the worst imaginings, verses 7 through 8. And we can do this sometimes. I know it's happened maybe to you, but sometimes we do it to other people where we think the worst of people. We build up this case where we think we're reading their, their actions and we know what they're thinking and we really don't know what people are thinking sometimes when they do things. You have to be careful about judging people's intentions. That's actually a really big problem in this country right now that we 
feel like we can judge people's intentions so many times by certain actions and we really don't know what their intentions may be. That's why texting sometimes is so bad. Better to have a face-to-face conversation with a person because you can't read into a text message what a person may mean. When you look at them, you can tell a lot of times. So this passage, though, is very famous for um, this being refer, or used to refer to Judas in John chapter 13 and 18. This one who lifts the hill up against David. So David has fed this person at his table, and this person has turned on him. If you go back and and look at verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So this is the ultimate betrayal. This is a friend that David trusted. This is David's bread. You know, David gave him this bread, and he lifted his heel against him. Now, there's all kinds of arguing about what lifting the hill means. You know, lifting in this reference could refer to some type of haughtiness or pride. Some have even said maybe this is the idea of putting the, the hill on the throat of a victim in victory. So metaphorically, this person is, is kicking David while he's down. He's uh, glorifying in David's demise. Judas does this to Jesus. So Jesus quotes this passage in John's gospel uh, and, and says, okay, this is a fulfillment of what David said. Judas is doing this to me. He is at my table betraying me. So this is a powerful verse in the New Testament. Then David trans, um, there's this transformation to confidence. So we go from this horrible situation where friends and foe are gathering together and saying bad things about David. They're, they're actually wanting David to die. Um, then there's this confidence. And, and he goes back to verse four and, and he had, he had, pleaded for divine mercy, but now he has confidence in God. Not only will Yahweh act to deliver, but he is actually pleased with the psalmist. So he's going to deliver David, but he's also pleased with him too. And he knows God is pleased because he's not allowed the enemies to triumph regarding his vulnerability. So David is going to be vindicated here in the end. And there's the beautiful doxology of verse 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And so we can close with this. You may be going through something similar in your life. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend. Maybe your foes have arrayed against you and you feel like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can pull through this. They've got such a strong case against me. People are taking glory in your demise and you just don't know which way to turn. I would present this psalm to you in these kinds of times. David has gone through this. God's servant has gone through this. This is inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired this psalm for a reason. Maybe it's for this time in your life where you can take this and find comfort and strength in God's word to know that even if the whole world seems to be against you, God is for you. And that's good news. And God is going to protect you. He's going to uphold you. It may not turn out in the, you know, in the, the way we want it to sometimes, But in the end, and this is hard for us to to understand, but in the end, we may be vindicated. Even if it's at the end of time before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ is the righteous judge. He will take care of all injustices, even injustices that have happened against us. Well, I hope you have a great day. I hope this psalm has inspired you throughout this day. I'm going to close one more time with verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And we can close our podcast with that type of confidence. God bless. Hope to see you back tomorrow.